Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss. Assalamu alaikum, a very good evening to you. Welcome. And this is Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa and I will be with you for up until seven o'clock with me answering your questions diligently and with patience as well as Sheikh Ibrahim was. So uh, your SMSs are accepted and uh, we're also receiving some via fax or email. If you've got uh, one of our staff members' email addresses here at VOC, you are welcome to send it through. And then the fax is 021-4477-271. And if you're listening to us across the lands and over the seas, you may uh, post it on our Facebook page. Just attention for questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim was. And that is the voice of the Cape. Like the page and you may pose your questions. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Sheikh. Does a woman need permission from her brothers to get married if she has sons who are big? Yeah, of course, uh, she does not really need permission from anyone if she was married before. Uh, we know there's a distinction between a woman that was never married and a woman that was married before mm. in terms of seeking permission from the legal guardian. A woman that was not married, obviously, uh, she's still under the guardianship of her parent or uh, grandfather, whoever plays that role. But the woman that was married before she's obviously got experience of marriage she doesn't need the permission of anyone not even her father for that matter um, the only thing is yes she needs a guardian or a wali to marry her to actually do the procedure of nikah that is what is required so in other words she doesn't need a, his permission if she was married but she needs someone to give her off so to say mm. right because she cannot conduct the marriage by herself so in this case the question is can the son be a mahram or a wali rather mm. can the son act as this guardian who marry off his own mother this is something that has been uh, a, a point of d- disputation or a point of disagreement rather uh, amongst the jurists um, the majority of scholars including the Hanafi the Maliki and the Hanbali school of thought that is three out of the four Sunni madhabs they say that the son can be a wadi and mm. can actually give off the mother and can act as that legal guardian uh, whereas the Shafi'i school of thought, uh, they say that the son cannot actually play that role. The mm-hmm. son is not the legal guardian, but here it will go either to her brothers and sisters, uh, sorry, not brothers and sisters, to her brothers okay, rather, or if the brothers are not to be found, then the uncles, etc., etc. Et so um, there is this disagreement here. What I would want to say is if this uh, lady wants to get married and she's got sons, and she's got brothers and sisters as well. It is always good just to consult and just to, 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 to inform everyone of her decision, right? And remember, she's not seeking permission of every, anyone. She don't need the permission of anyone, okay? It's just a matter of who's going to be the legal party to actually give her off. And I think in this case, um, obviously, with due consultation, they can come to some kind of an agreement who will do that. And I don't think we should be too uh, strict on this issue of saying, look, if the Shafi says the son cannot be, then it is haram. Because the other madhaib all allows it. Okay? Mm. And sometimes the son is closer to the mother, obviously, than what the brothers is. Okay, so although the Shafi'i Madhab does not allow it, the others do allow it. So we must take this into consideration, I think. And um, I think with due consultation, with due dialogue uh, amongst the parties, she can then delegate who she feels will be the most suitable candidate. Maybe she's got a son, for example, that is mukallaf in everything, but he's irresponsible. Mm. Okay, let's say the son is 18 years old, but he's not someone that's got any uh, responsible attitude or that knows what is right and wrong and stuff. In that case, obviously, it wouldn't make sense to make him the wakil 
or to act or to use him as the, the legal guardian. In this case, it will be best to take the brother. Mm. On the other hand, let's say the son is quite mature. He's himself married. Who he mm. knows, you know, what life is all about and all of that. Then, according to the majority of scholars, it is allowed for him to be the legal guardian on behalf of his mother. Although, like I said, the Shafi'i Madhab does not really allow that. Right, so the next question, Sheikh, is if someone left his children and a wife at at his homeland, when he came here, meaning probably in Cape Town or South Africa, he sees another woman and he told her that he is not married at all, but instead he left his children behind and their mother is looking after them. He considers the mother of his children to be his wife. Please clarify this. Yeah, it uh, seems of a bit of a confused uh, yeah. issue here, yeah? uh, quite a complicated That's issue rather. And, wife, yeah. and uh, I think o- o- what what the situation entails here is that um, why this person is perhaps asking the question is that if he's still uh, if he's still married with his wife in whatever country and he's got children, should she get married to him here? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's permissible for her to get married to him because we know that he's allowed to take more than one wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, from that angle, it's permissibility. There's no problem. Mm-hmm. But in terms of viability. So I make a difference between permissibility and viability. Is it uh, viable for you just to get married to him? I will say absolutely not. Mm. I will say first investigate, first find out what is happening. Um, you know, um, because you want to. I mean, the question that I would want to ask is why? Why did he leave his wife? Or why is he not with his wife? Yeah, and because he says he's not married. Yeah. So, 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 what, what is the? Did he divorce his wife? And if he divorced his wife, why was that? Mm. Uh, you know, because that is the way in which you can find out what kind of person he is. So I will say investigation uh, is. Key key to this particular question and you need to find out people perhaps in that country to do the necessary investigations for you uh, because you must remember people do come to our country and to other countries as well and they get married not really because they want to get married but because of citizenship or because Mm. of whatever else and afterwards they desert the women and this Mm. has been happening in Cape Town quite a bit Mm. where some foreign nationals come here they marry our women uh, because uh, these women perhaps are also very desperate you know not being able to marry or perhaps they were married before and so they, they fall for these people and they get married to them and afterwards these people just leave them in the lurch mm-hmm. like that they go back to their countries or they because I think what happens is once they get citizenship by, through marriage then they are able to travel much more freer mm. or freely with our passport, with our nationality, than with their own. So this is often what happens, and mm. this must be taken into consideration. And of course, I'm not saying that this is the case here. This may be a genuine person. He may be a proper spouse for you. Uh, the best thing is do the proper investigation. Although it is permissible for you to marry him as a second wife or a third wife, it's halal in Islam, but you also need to know and uh, be sure what you are doing. You don't want to go head over heels into a situation where afterwards you are going to uh, regret it, not knowing the type of person it is. And of course, the other thing that I also would want to encourage here is the fact that, uh, you know, difference, difference of cultures is also something to be considered. Mm. You know, our cultures uh, are not always the same and there may be clashes in certain things. Uh, and I've, I've got experience somewhat of this, how sometimes even small things can cause big ruptures within the marriage because of a, a clash of cultures. Okay. Sometimes the way people speak, the way they do things may be different. The way they, um, you know, behave may be different. Mm. What they may see as normal, we may not see as normal, for example, and vice versa. So uh, this is another thing that you need to take into consideration before you get married. So my final um, direction, directive to you would be is to make a thorough research before you go into this thing so that at least you know where you are standing as far as this marriage is concerned.
Shukran. All right, so the next question is a little bit controversial. But we're going to, uh, Sheikh, I know, definitely will try his best. Um, Salam VOC. It is, is it true that uh, the Shias, Shahada, Salah, fasting, and Hajj are different to the Sunnis? Is this a major or minor sin or issues, sorry, major or minor issues for Muslims um, from Muhammad? Yeah, of course, the, the Shia Sunni uh, debate is a, a very, very um, big debate and it's a very big rift that is uh, within the Ummah and it is something that has been coming on for years now. And unfortunately, the time in the, the age that we are living in, most of the fighting that is taking place in the Muslim world is because of this issue. Mm. Where Sunnis and Shias are not able to live together they are fighting with each other etc etc and yes uh, it's a very it's a long question it's not something I can give give you uh, an answer in one or two minutes but uh, what I would like to say is yes there are differences there are major differences between Sunnis and Shias there's lots of things pertaining to Aqidah issues belief issues and so on that we would not be able to come to some kind of a compromise or some kind of a conciliation um, so it's a, it's a very uh, sensitive issue uh, but what I want to say is we must be very careful that we don't fall into the trap of um, becoming, um, you know, violent in our approach, or we become fanatical in our approach, in the sense that uh, because of these uh, irreconcilable differences, we, we become, you know, abusive and stuff like that. We, we must know how to deal with the situation. Mm -hmm. And yes, I would say education is key, right? In this part of the world, of the world, Alhamdulillah, we are a Sunni community primarily. Um, and so we must educate our children about um, our beliefs as Muslims, as Ahlu Sunnah, and what we stand for and what we should be believing in, etc. This is key, because mm -hmm. if we don't do this, they will fall, obviously, in the trap of a lot of different deviations that you find out there. And nowadays, there's so many different groupings and so many different things that you find out there. And without education, it will be obviously very easy for them to fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. So I, I would advise that we obviously um, educate ourselves, uh, especially from our point of view, from a belief point of view, uh, what is the proper way that we believe in Allah and His Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions Ridwanullah alayhim and you know the Ahlul Bayt because these are all issues that cause the divide between uh, the Sunnah and the Shia and we need to have a proper understanding of these things um, and so yes there are major differences but uh, we need to obviously um, try to find uh, ways of dealing with it that is suitable, that, that does not lead to uh, violence, that does not lead to uh, abuse, etc., etc. This is probably uh, the best answer I can give for now, but it's a much wider issue, it's a much broader issue that we need much more time um, to, to, to actually speak about or to, 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 to give some input mm. as far as this is concerned. Shukran, Sheikh, um, for advising us appropriately. All right, let's take a break, and uh, when we get back, some of your questions, and at least more of your questions after this, stay with us. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back in our question and answers. We uh, continue with your SMS questions. And the next one is with me answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum. My sister passed away and left a world that is not in accordance with the Sharia. She left equal halves to her grandchildren, one legitimate girl and one illegitimate boy. She has no mother, father or children. She, however, has brothers and sisters. May we, if so, and if so, how do we go about changing this world to Sharia, Sheikh? 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, the question with regards to how we set out our worlds, uh, I think the first point I would like to make is that uh, the importance of uh, following the laws of the Sharia as far as this is concerned. Mm. Uh, we find that this is one of the things that have been spelled out to us in great detail in the Quran. And this is somewhat unusual because we don't usually find in the Quran all the details of every little thing that needs to be done. But when it comes to the laws of succession or the laws of inheritance, we find in Surah An-Nisa there's a great amount of detail as far as this is concerned. And this shows the emphasis that Allah places on this important aspect in our lives. Mm. And we also find when we read these verses that speak about inheritance, Allah stresses the importance and the obligation of it, where Allah says, Faridatam min Allah. This is an obligation from Allah which you don't have a choice in. And in a, uh, just after these ayat, Allah also says, the one who follows Allah and his Rasul will be entered into paradise. And those who transgress and who disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his Prophet and they overstep the boundaries, they will be entered into hellfire. And these verses, it comes immediately after the laws of succession which means that we need to obey, we need to adhere to that which Allah Ta'ala has set out for us. With regards to this particular question, if the person did not leave a particular will that is in Sharia or in accordance with Sharia, then the family members themselves, they must try to come together and perhaps redistribute things in a way that pleases Allah Ta'ala. They should, uh, amongst themselves, comes to some kind of arrangement. In this case, the illegitimate child and the illegitimate grand granddaughter uh, or grandson, whichever way it was now, um, in terms of grandchildren, obviously there's certain conditions when they will inherit. Okay. Uh, the illegitimate child, for example, uh, can't really inherit a specific portion of the inheritance. Although um, the deceased uh, was able to make what we call a wasiya, which is up to one third for the illegitimate child. And that one third can go to any person whosoever, whether it is a family member, non-family member, Muslim, non-Muslim, it doesn't matter. Your wasiya you can make out up to one third for whatever person or whatever cause you want to put out. So that could have been done. Unfortunately, it was not done. So the two grandchildren, the one legitimate and the other one that is illegitimate, they got the entire estate. And of course that was wrong because here in this case the brothers and the sisters would have to inherit from this deceased. So what they can do is, I think the only way they can do is to speak to the grandchildren and to perhaps counsel them and tell them, look, uh, in, in accordance with the Sharia, this is not what should have happened. Maybe, uh, you know, your grandmother uh, uh, was not really aware of these things, but we need to sort things out. Um, and of course, that can only happen in a way of counseling and in a way of speaking to them about it. And hopefully, if they come around, they will say, well, we also want to please Allah. We want to do the right thing and we perhaps redistribute. Um, the other thing that I can also mention is if there is, let's say, all the brothers and sisters in this in this regard they say look it's fine we don't want anything from this estate seeing that our sister had already given it to the grandchildren and they all forfeit their portion or they all give up their portion then in that case it's fine there's nothing wrong with that if they themselves all come together unanimously and say that we if our if our sister gave it to them it's fine they can have it then we, we can do that there's no problem that will not be contravening the sharia because after all uh, it goes to them they are the the the, the, the lawful heirs which who can either accept it or they can give it over to someone else if they if they feel like it. Mm -hmm. So if all them uh, all of them do this, then that would also be another option. But if they insist to obviously get a portion of the inheritance, then they will have to convince the grandchildren to redistribute um, in that particular way.
Okay, and um, if the grandchildren are maybe young, Sheikh, what do they do in that case? Yeah, normally if, uh, I don't know how, how obviously the, the law of, of our land will also uh, have to be consulted Apply, yeah. and applied. Mm. Uh, what will happen, it will most probably go into a trust until the children are of age. Okay. Uh, okay, and, and there's legal things that have to be done. So mm. uh, it's best to consult uh, the legal personnel as well as far as this is concerned because uh, there, there are certain rules pertaining to the masters and so on and that needs to be taken into consideration um, uh, and those avenues must all be explored in order to do the right thing and to satisfy the needs of both the Sharia and what is right to do or what should be done in this instance. Okay, shukran Sheikh. Salam Sheikh, in 2012 I went for a fasakh um, for non-Nafaqa. A month after that I got an SMS and that it was granted. My husband did not want to accept it because he was not informed. So we slept together again. Now what? Yeah, the the first thing I would obviously ask is the procedure that was that was followed in issuing this fasakh. Was the procedure duly followed? Uh, because in any uh, circumstance of fasakh, both parties will have to be called in. They will have to be uh, counselled. They will have to be um, directed. And obviously, for a woman to seek a fasakh, she must have grounds for a fasakh. Mm. So that must all be investigated. So if uh, these things were not done. Right. Let's say wherever they went, these people just gave them a fasakh without counselling or without calling in the parties or without following the procedures. Then, of course, that fasakh can be contested. I mean, one can say that that fasakh is null and void because the proper procedure was not followed. Um, if, on the other hand, the procedure was followed um, and all the channels were explored and expedited, then in such a such a case, the husband has got no right to say, well, he accepts or he rejects because once once it is done, uh, following the proper channels, then he should abide by. It, mm-hmm. Okay, and he should have accepted it. Uh, and if that was the case, then it was haram for him, obviously, to sleep with his wife again. Mm-hmm. So that was an act of haram that they that they that they did in that case. They must make toba for it. They are no longer married. If the fasakh is through, they, they are no longer married. She is supposed to be under idda, and he is not supposed to sleep with her. And sleeping with her does not make it right, or mm-hmm. does not uh, bring bring fix it, yeah. fix it or marriage. bring her back to him mm-hmm. because they will have to remarry each other. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the difference between a fasakh and a divorce. Mm-hmm. If he had to issue a divorce and they together then one can still interpret that as reconciliation mm. but once a fasakh has been granted by a judicial body there is no way for them just to get together like that they will have to remarry each other if they wanted to do that so if they slept together after a, a fasakh that was valid for where the proper procedures were followed then obviously they committed an act of haram which they must make toba for and they remain unmarried they remain strangers for each other she's still under idda and they can decide whether they want to remarry each other again uh, if they wanted to to, to make up at the later stage. Shukran, Sheikh. With that, we take a short break, and when we come back, more of your questions via SMS. Back in a moment. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening. Welcome back to the session of questions and answers on a Saturday. I'm Khawa Solomon. Questions and answers is the program. And of course, as always, we have the resident imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid out in Weinberg, Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas, back in studio with us. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners of the Voice of the Clip. So we continue with your SMS questions on 47913 that we've received the week uh, weeks prior 
prior or a week prior to this. And we say shukran, jazakallah to you. Thank you very much for all your patience awaiting your answer. Sheikh will give it the attention as he always does to all of the questions. Might not be immediately on that day at that time, but inshallah the question will follow through. And there are some repetitions of questions inshallah and we'll try to just reiterate quickly, but um, we will we want to also give justice to the other questions that has come through. So just listen to each show um, six every Saturday between 6 and 7 and if you've missed any of the shows just to check if um, your question has been answered in, in the previous week and you've missed it download um, I own on Iono.fm that's I-N-O I-O-N-O and I-O-N-O dot F-M and you can click on um, Voice of the Cape and all of this uh, recent programs and especially questions and answers so Sheikh let's Get to our first question for this evening. It says, Salam, Sheikh. What is the best way to make dhikr? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil mursaleen. Abina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. The question uh, speaks about, I, I think, uh, the what is called the adab of dhikr. What, what are the etiquettes when a person makes dhikr? It's obviously a very broad question. And there's lots of things that one uh, can speak about with regards to this. Um, uh, the best resource that I found uh, in this regard is the book by Imam Nawawi, a book that is called Al-Adhkar, a book that primarily deals with dhikr and what recommended dhikrs to make and how to make dhikr, etc. So I will just sum up uh, what he has mentioned. Uh, he says, for example, that uh, the whole issue of whether you should make dhikr with your tongue verbally and with your heart, or should it be one or the other? And he says it is actually best to make dhikr both using your tongue and being present at heart at the same time. Uh, whilst if you had to make a choice between the two, let's say um, you, you cannot do both. Let's say you, you're feeling sick or whatever. Um, uh, is, are you, is it possible for you to make dhikr just with your heart and to be conscious of Allah in that way? He says, yes, it is. Uh, and it is much better than making dhikr with your tongue where your heart is not present. Mm. Because that is obviously the focus of dhikr. Uh, then he mentions some of the other practicalities about dhikr. Is he says that it's important that when you choose the best of times, you choose the best of places, you try to face the qibla, you, know, you sit in a way that you show humility to Allah Ta'ala, etc. Uh, and uh, you try to make dhikr as much as you can in all different states because Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah Al Imran uh, verse 190 uh, and 191 uh, where Allah Ta'ala explains who the people are of understanding. He says, They are people that remember Allah standing, you also try to, to be pure in, in every sense of the word, both mm. physically, spiritually. You try to cleanse you, your physical body and as well have a, a clean heart when you make this zikr. And that's why the ulama have even recommended that you use the siwak or you brush your teeth before you actually make dhikr. Because uh, you, you remember you are mentioning Allah's name. That is the greatest name. And you're glorifying the creator. So you want to be in the best of, of conditions. And also... Uh, he says that the, the best of places, that's why we find that the masajid have been a place of recommendation where the must take place because that is naturally a place that is calm, that is content and that is uh, clean and pure. So you choose a place that obviously is befitting for the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala. And uh, I think the most important thing is to at all times contemplate what you are doing when you are making dhikr of Allah Ta'ala. You try to remember the, uh, at least contemplate and reflect on the, on the meanings of what you are saying. Um, in our day, 
in Asia, alhamdulillah, it's easy to get the meanings of all the dhikrs that we make. It is, uh, uh, you know, to be found uh, everywhere that you can easily get the meanings of the dhikr. So one should not make dhikr in an empty fashion mm. where you just chant the words, but you don't know what you are saying or you don't have an effect. It doesn't have an effect on the heart because ultimately dhikr is to uh, reinvigorate your spirit and your soul and your heart and connect yourself with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, like I said, it's a very, very broad question. That is a summary of some of the issues pertaining to how to make dhikr. Mm. There's the question of whether you should make dhikr alone or sh- whether you should make it in a group, mm. uh, in congregation. Well, both both conditions are acceptable and both have their merit and both have their advantages. And so we should not restrict ourselves. If you look at the Quran, Allah Ta'ala mentions dhikr in many places. And almost each time Allah Ta'ala tells us to make dhikr, we always find the word kathiran. Kathiran means abundantly. Mm. Just make dhikr as much as you can. There's no limit to it. There's no space. In fact, you don't, although it is sunnah to have hudu, you don't have to have hudu. Let's say you're sitting on the train and you just want to say la ilaha illallah by yourself. Or you just want to say subhanallah. These are all things that are very good and you should try to do that because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as Sayyidah Aisha explains, kana yathkurullaha fi kulli ahyanihi. He used to remember Allah in all states. So he did not ever be, he was never in a state of heedlessness or negligence as far as uh, the dhikr is, is concerned, inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. All right, so the next question is, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh, with reference of the etiquette of, uh, for the etiquette of uh, Jumu'ah Salah, what's Sheikh's opinion on the community notices which are read out before the Jumu'ah Salah um, is performed? Yeah, I would uh, essentially uh, want to ask that these uh, announcements that are made, obviously uh, there's no problem in making any announcements for the community. Um, We are in need, obviously, to be informed of various programs or things that is happening in our communities. And sometimes the announcement is also to make dua for certain people and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. Because to make dua for one another and to wish each other well, to make dua for the deceased or the sick, this, alhamdulillah, this is a sunnah. We must try to to obviously do this at all times. Um, But what I would want to say is... or what I would want to ask is that when when does this take place? Mm. Do we do it like just prior to the Salah of Jumu'ah? I would say no, we shouldn't do it just prior to the Salah of Jumu'ah. We should rather do it before the Imam begins with the actual Khutbah of Jumu'ah. And I think this is how it is done primarily in, in, in our Masajid. The Imam would normally give his English lecture or the translation of his Khutbah. And then after the translation of the Khutbah, he would give the the announcements. Mm. So remember at that point, the actual proceedings of Jumu'ah did not yet start. Okay, that is all the pre-khutbah or the pre-Jumu'ah proceedings. So if he does it in that slot just after his English talk or his translation, then that is fine. That is obviously the best time to do it. Once he starts with his Arabic khutbah, getting onto the mimbar and doing his two khutbahs, there should be continuity between the two khutbahs and the salah. There shouldn't be a big, big gap in between. Hmm. So it is not suitable for him to do the Arabic khutbah, for example. And then after he does the Arabic khutbah and he comes off the mimbar before he goes into the salah, now to make lengthy announcements and things about that would not be suitable. Okay. Because there must be a continuity between the salah of Jumu'ah and the two khutbahs that are in hmm. So that is uh, the only uh, issue that I will take into consideration. Uh, apart from that, if it is done before that, if it is done the way that we normally do it immediately after the English talk, there should be no objection to it and there should be no um, problem with it. Like I said, some of these community notices are quite essential to inform people about what is happening in our communities. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. Are Muslims attending that attends Christmas carols allowed to do so, Sheikh? 
Yeah, I don't think uh, you know Muslims with true uh, you know Islam and, uh, with them will, will will attend these kinds of gatherings, mm. especially you know gatherings where um, other faiths are practicing their faith and actually doing their rituals. Uh, that is something that obviously we we would stay clear of. You know, um, we would not mm. uh, sort of participate in any ritual or worship of another faith. Okay, um, so yes, we should, uh, and that does not mean by any way we should, uh, you know, not uh, live in harmony with our neighbours that are having Christmas, for example, or that are having a festive season or period, and to wish them even, uh, and mm. to, to, you know, say have a good year and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with that, in okay. my opinion. Nothing wrong with that, but in terms of now going there and actually singing with him and enjoying the Christmas carols with him, this is something that I don't think any Muslim would. Uh, uh, think of to be a suitable thing to do yeah. um, because obviously we've got our own uh, way of, of celebrating or doing things and believing and etc so we don't want to obviously mix up things so uh, to attend such gatherings would not be suitable uh, however that does not mean we are not allowed to show good sp- good uh, goodwill or to give good words to our neighbors that are non-muslim uh, nothing stops us from doing that after all neighborly neighborly relationships would dictate that mm. just like when we have Eid we would like them also to be happy for us mm. and stuff like that. So when they are having their things, and that does not necessarily mean that we are satisfied with all the beliefs that they have. Yes. Okay. And people easily confuse these things. Mm. They think if you if you are, are just saying to someone that you know have a good year or you have a good period of rest and and, and stuff mm. like that, that immediately you are condoning their beliefs. Mm. It doesn't mean that. I don't think we should uh, easily mix up these things. We must be careful. Um, obviously, in this country that we are living in, we are living with neighbors that are of different cultures and of different religions and we should show tolerance we should show goodwill to them uh, how else are we going to make da'wah to them how else mm-hmm. are we going to bridge the gap how else are we going to build a relationship with them in order to show them what Islam is about if we are not able to interact with them even in this basic way okay so that is what I would want to say we don't participate in their rituals mm-hmm. definitely not or in their worship definitely not um, but to show goodwill and good respect to them there's nothing wrong with that inshallah shukran Sheikh. alright so the next one via SMS is Salam Sheikh if your husband has passed away must you take his photos off from the wall shukran yeah I think it's uh, probably best uh, if a person has got a loved one that has passed on these photos around to, to not display them uh, quite uh, openly uh, because it may it may cause issues you know with regards to uh, increased uh, sadness, increased mm. uh, uh, feeling and emotion and stuff like that, which is not recommended because we as Muslims, alhamdulillah, we are accepting of the decree of Allah, the fate of Allah, if he has decreed something to us. We should say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, and we try to accept as best as we can. Mm. And if those photos are there all the time, it may remind us and it may obviously uh, bring back feelings and emotions mm. uh, more than what is necessary. So I would say ideally, um, it's it's probably best uh, just to, to, to not to have them openly displayed, especially if they are quite overt, if they are quite in the open and if they are quite you know, in your face where you are going to look at them all the time and stuff like that. Even if it's in a cabinet somewhere where you're hardly going to you know, uh, put your glance on or you're hardly going to look mm. at it, it's fine. There. I don't think there's objection to that. But if it is where you are going to look at it all the time and it may bring back those feelings, then I think it is best not to have that because we don't want to be in a state where we are showing, showing displeasure or dissatisfaction with the decree of Allah or where we are uh, going to be sad in such a way where we cannot move on mm-hmm. okay this is something we should try not to do uh, because after all as I said as Muslims we always try to accept the qada and the qadr of Allah Ta'ala we know Allah is the Lord of the world he, he does whatever he 
does with hikmah, with wisdom. And uh, we are all going to go through that path in any way. Mm. All, all of us are going to follow that particular path. So that is most probably um, the best to do in that, in that circumstance. Okay, sure. So we have um, a question from two individuals, but similar in nature. Uh, says, Salam, is it correct to say it is sunnah to wear white to a janazah? Then should we not rather encourage this practice? Another one saying, um, Salam, my mom always says we can't wear black to a funeral because that is for Christians. And she and, and grew up with that as well. So black and white, yeah? Yeah, I think this question surfaced uh, a couple of times uh, mm. where we dealt with it. And um, I don't think particularly one can say it is sunnah to wear white because like I said in previous answers, that when we say something is sunnah or we claim something to be part of the deen, we have to bring a proof for it. Mm. Is there a saying of the Prophet where he actually recommended us to wear white at two, white clothing to janazas? Mm. The answer is, no, I haven't come across a hadith that says that, or an ayah in the Quran that says that, or even the scholars saying that you have to wear white when you go to Mm. To a janaza. So there's no proof for that. Um, on the other hand, uh, in terms of uh, being perhaps the the customs of other people, the question is: if if you if you do it as a Muslim, do you do it because of that? I mean, do our people wear black because Christians wear black, mm. or is it just a culture of? You know, I always look at it in a very practical sense. If you look at the thobes that are on the market, it's mostly black thobes. You don't mm. find colored thobes. If you go to Saudi Arabia, even for that matter, I mean, if you go in the souks, mostly black thobes, you will hardly find a, a thobe that is another color. Mm. So I think it's just by habit that people are buying black thobes and that is what they are wearing. And so I don't think people would uh, particularly, or let's say somebody doesn't have any clothing for that day of the janazah. Do you think that our people will go out and actually buy something black to wear on that day? I, I very much doubt it. Mm. I don't think that is the mindset. Okay, because if it is, then yes, it is a problem. If it is, if it is that you are doing it solely because the Christians do it, or this one's do it, or that one do it, and you want to imitate them, or you want to be like them, we, we don't have to do that. Um, but in terms of just wearing black because are out of uh, your own habit, or it's out of practical practicality, or that is the only thought you have for that, for that matter, mm. there shouldn't be a problem as far as that is concerned. And uh, of course, the, the ulama, the fuqaha have stated this in their books, that there is nothing wrong in wearing any color, uh, you know, in the time of a janaza and, and, and actually going. And in fact, we know that the woman uh, who lost her husband, there's specific ahadith that show that she should not beautify herself, for example, mm. for the entire period of idda. She should not beautify herself. She should not dress up. She should not, etc., etc., because she's in a period of mourning. And that period of mourning will last up to four months and ten days, as we know. And so that has been encouraged by the Sharia, that she does not uh, embellish herself like that. So for other people also, if they go to a janazah and, you know, they, they just naturally wear the black without thinking of it as being a practice of someone else or some other religion or denomination, then there is no, there's no problem in that because there's no proofs that actually show you cannot do it mm. as far. As I, as I know, yes. Shukran. Inshallah, we'll come back with the next um, SMS question on questions and answers after the short break. So stay with us. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wuss. Assalamu alaikum. Very good evening. Welcome back. I'm Khawa Salomon and answering your questions in this edition of Questions and Answers is Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Sheikh being the resident Imam at the Yusufiya Masjid. If you'd like to get in contact with Sheikh, um, we will leave his details at the reception um, during office hours 021-442-3500. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If the family goes on a picnic and there's extended non-Muslim cousins, 
is it permissible to go to the picnic? Um, my husband says, no, you stay at home. Shukran. Yeah, my point of departure would be if the husband says no, you should probably abide to what he says mm. uh, because obviously he's got a hack over you and uh, if he feels uncomfortable for you to go, then you should probably listen to him. Um, but if there's really a strong need for you or rather you, you if you have an urge to want to go with the rest of the family, etc., then you should speak to him and ask him why he doesn't want you to go. Uh, and if there is specific, uh, let's say these non-Muslim people that are with, are doing things that are untoward or that are un-Islamic or that are uh, not suitable for such gatherings, such as let's say these uh, non-Muslim uh, family members that go with a drink while while you are on, on the strip, etc. And obviously that would make it more uncomfortable for us to go mm. or to be actually part of such a picnic or part of such a gathering. And it would not be acceptable for us to go on such a gathering. But if that is not the case and uh, you feel that you just want to go for the sake of family, and it could also be for the sake of da'wah I always look at it in that way mm -hmm. Although people don't think of it in that way uh, What do I mean by da'wah is that if you go where non-Muslims are And you as a Muslim can show and display your Islam in one way or the other in uh, let's say the time of salah comes and this is something i i notice is beautiful people mm. go to beach to the beach or to a picnic or a braai but when the time of salah comes they make salah they make salah on the beach they make salah wherever they are and this may be a good uh, da'wah you know for somebody who is non-muslim to see that how devout we are as muslims that we know our time and place for everything we know when to enjoy ourselves we also know when to pray we also know when to do uh, what is expected from us so if these are what, what perhaps could be seen as as positive things for, for such an outing, then maybe you must speak to your husband about it. But if he still strongly feels you shouldn't go, then you should try not to obviously um, go beyond what he says. Uh, you should try to abide by his uh, request. Um, unless, of course, like I say, you can convince him otherwise in a, in a, in a nice way, tell him why he would like to go for family ties, etc. Or to, to, to just at least show others what your dean is about, etc. If that is the case, uh, then, then fine. Otherwise, we should probably, um, you know, not, uh, you should probably not uh, ignore the call of your husband in this particular matter. Shukran, Sheikh. Okay. So the next question is, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh and sister. Am I allowed to use my zakah money to donate a water well on behalf of a deceased? I think we've had this question similar um, before, Sheikh. Yeah, I remember this question because it deals with, uh, I mean, if you're t talking of a water well, it's, it's probably in another country. Mm. Um, I don't think it would be locally. So I think we dealt with it from that angle, yes. saying that if you are going to take the zakah out of your own country to another country, yeah. that should not be done unless it's totally necessary. Mm. Okay, because your zakah must be paid in the country where you reside. Okay, and this is taken from a hadith where Sayyidina Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he was obviously sent to Al-Yaman by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet said to him that what you should do is you should call them to the deen of Allah, you should call them to the belief in Allah Ta'ala and to the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if they uh, then obey or they abide by that, then you should tell them this salah that they must perform. And then eventually it's a long hadith. At the end of the hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, you tell them about zakah and zakah is taken from them and given to them from them to them so it means from that community to that community so zakah should not be dispatched to another country mm. if there is a need in your own country and surely our country is obviously much in need that's there's lots of poverty and so on so it would obviously be best for you to not uh, send your zakah to another country so that's the one point the second point is which i pick up from the question is can you do so and make the niya that if you give zakah it's on behalf of the deceased mm. may allah give the reward to the deceased uh, can you do that the answer is yes 
many scholars have allowed this, where you can actually do something uh, in a state of ibadah, etc., and say, oh Allah, I would like to pass on the reward of this to such and such a person. Uh, this has been uh, established by the scholars of Islam, many of them, although it's not a point of agreement, there are some of our scholars that dispute this matter or that disagrees with this. There are a number of them that uh, says it can be done. And uh, one of the uh, examples that is to be found on this is that when the Prophet ﷺ actually sacrificed on the day of Eid al-Adha, he sacrificed two sheep. One sheep was on behalf of him and his family, and the second sheep that he sacrificed was on behalf of the Ummah of Islam. So it shows that the Nabi Sallallahu did an act of ibadah on, on behalf of the Ummah. Okay, for the for the reward to go to the Ummah and etc. Uh, etc. Et so there's nothing wrong uh, according to many scholars that you can actually do this. So uh, if you do that, it will be fine. Uh, just coming back to the first point I made, however, if the water well is in another country, and of course uh, you can give your zakat to another country if there's no, no poverty in the country that you live. Hmm. Let's say there's no need. You live in a place where everybody's okay, there's no need for anything for uh, to dispatch your zakat, then you can give your zakat to other people. Hmm. There's no problem in that. But if that is not the case, then it's best to obviously keep your zakat local, because that is, uh, we know the saying that says charity begins at home. That is where you should start with your charity. You cannot help everyone in the world, but you forget your own neighbors mm. and your own community that are in difficulty. And we are living in a time where there is great poverty right on our doorsteps. And we experience uh, that it is on the increase all the time. Mm. So we as Muslims, we've got a, lo- a role to play as far as that is concerned. Shukran, Sheikh. Great plate also stories now eight. Uh, next week, same time, same place, we will continue with your questions. If it was not answered this week, please be patient. We do have it. <laughs> because if we get it again, Sheikh is just going to, Sheikh will be running through it, giving a short answer, but you'll have your brief answer when originally when you send it. So you may download as well um, all of the, the, the programs of questions and answers. And if it's not on iono.fm, please request it from the producer. Um, Serena Jacobs from myself Shukran Sheikh Salam to Sheikh's family as well and uh, all the best back home inshallah Jazakumullah khairan to you Sister Hawa and to all our listeners inshallah until we meet again Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh